This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. Coming up in hour two, we'll talk to Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic about the Blues. Ken Weeb of Sportsnet about the Winnipeg Jets. In the meantime, this team is flat out hot. They've won seven games in a row. They sit atop of the highly competitive and difficult to play in Metropolitan Division. They are the New Jersey Devils. Winners of seven of their last seven. Great performances from players like Jesper Bratt and Nico Heischer to say nothing of the net mining of Vitek Vanacek, the defense acumen of Dougie Hamilton and John Marino. The architect of this team is Tom Fitzgerald, and he joins me now. Tom, thanks for doing this. How are you today? I'm doing well, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. So Elliot and I, a couple of days ago, sat down when Vegas uh, came through Toronto. We sat down with Kelly McCrimmon. Uh, he gave us about an hour worth of his time, and you guys are on a heater. Vegas is on a heater as well. And I'll ask you the same question that I opened with him, uh, considering how hot his team is right now. It's the, the ultimate softball, but I think you know what I'm getting at. Uh, your team's won seven games in a row, Tom. Are things great or really great right now for you? <laughs> well, I'll just leave it at where it's, it's enjoyable coming in the rink um, because you're seeing the fruits of the labor you know, paying off. And listen, you got to give all the credit to our coaching staff and the players. Um, we have talent. It's my job to build a team um, and and add to where we're lacking in certain areas and where we need to improve on. Um, but at the end of the day, players go out and play. And they're the ones who are going to tell you, are they, are they committed? We built up to, to, to frankly, just say like – it's all about our process. You know, how are we doing things daily? You know, are we consistent with it? You know, do we believe in it? How's the culture? Um, the results will be there. And I've said this from the get-go. We're, we're not going to put the cart before the horse. We're going to build a process. We're going to build habits. We're going to build consistency. And we're going to build a belief in it. And and you're seeing that with, with our team. So we're enjoying it. But we, we go game to game here. Was it um, was it frustrating because I, I, I know, like, the New Jersey Devils mantra, certainly in this era, has always been, you know, we want to, again, there's process and there's also we're going to be the smartest team. We're going to find the market inefficiencies and, you know, we're going to exploit them for our benefit. Was it frustrating going back to last season where I think people really, and anyone that paid attention to things like underlying numbers, you could really see how good this team was, but a lot of it was being undone just bluntly because the saves weren't there how frustrating was that for you and and your general manager perch to watch that and say we're better than our record shows well i i think that's true um you know we believe in the metrics uh you know it, it takes you it takes you down a path one way or the other we felt that we we were really striking on what we built on you know offensive minded guys adding dougie hamilton um watching jack grow bradder grow nico grow you know, you got to stay healthy. The, the good teams in this league stay healthy. Um, and when you're nicked up here and there, they've got the depth to, to cover it up. Um, you know what? We we are we don't look back. We're just we've always been looking forward um, here and, and, and grow the things that we are doing well consistently um, and work on those things. And then, like I said, like uh, the the unknowing of, of where a Jonathan Bernier is going to end up. Health-wise, you know, we needed to go out and find another goalie um, to go along with McKenzie and give McKenzie a chance to to get back to where he was, 
two plus years ago um, when he was a damn good prospect goalie came in and played in the 1920 season. Thank God almighty. He almost took us out of the, the, the lottery, like because how well he played. So, you know, we're, we're just still growing on it, but it goes back to what I said earlier. It, it, it's about, we, we practice with a purpose. What are the drills we're doing? You know, how are we, how are we educating our players? How's the communication? You know, it's, it's consistency. It's, it's, it's competitive. Um, so we just really had to redo the mind and, and, and how we were thinking on every day and not put the cart before the horse. The results will be there if we get everything else in place. Right now we're, we're consistent in our, in our workplace. You know, I know it's always difficult moving on from a first-round draft pick. I get that. Um, you know, you look at the the John Marino deal, and you gave up Ty Smith, um, who you know for a long time was always considered you know one of the next great defensemen here for the New Jersey Devils. And Marino's been outstanding. I don't think that's exactly a secret early on this season. Um, can Can you walk us through that decision to say okay? You know, we want to bring in someone like Marino, and the the price is going to be very big. Well, you know, you know the landscape around the league, and you know teams. You know, no secret. You know, uh, Ronnie Axel. You know, would, would have liked at that point in the offseason to, to resign two two staples to that organization in Pittsburgh and Latang and, and Malkin. Um, I mean, they're, they're, they'll have statues outside. Uh, so, you know, keeping those guys, everybody knows everybody's, you know, cap landscape. And I just said, like, if you look at the move, somebody on the back end, we're looking for a right shot, you know, and I'm willing to give up uh, a premium asset for it. You know, people look and say, why would you give up Ty Smith? I don't want to give up Ty Smith, but I have, I could use it as a chip because we do feel we've got some kids coming, you know, with Luke Hughes coming and Nemich uh, and, and Makamadoulin over in Russia, our, our former first rounder from a couple of years ago. Like we, we feel like we've got it covered that I could utilize a, a, an asset in Ty to get an asset in, in John on the right side. And it just came to, mm-hmm. it just came to fruition over the summer. Um, Brat's been outstanding. Uh, he's on the one year deal. So there's another negotiation on the horizon. Um, was there ever, a, or in, in your mind, I guess it's always sort of maybe out there a little bit, did you ever think or in the, in the back of your mind feel that, you know, someone may target him with an offer sheet last summer? Um, I, I, I didn't. Uh, I know that's part of the CBA, and um, if it was to happen, we would have reacted, you know, uh, accordingly. Um, you know, the number one goal was to, to tie uh, just to Brad up as long as possible um, and come to an agreement with his agent. Mm-hmm. Um, they knew that. I know he wants to be here, and that's that's awesome, as we want him here. Um, mm-hmm. It's just finding the, it was trying to find the right number that worked for both player and team. Um, and, but knowing we had arbitration and, and knowing that we actually own his rights an extra year, so really we own him for the two years at that mm-hmm. point, um, so, you know, that's still the goal is to tie Jesper Bratt. He's, he's part of the fabric here. Uh, he's been here for quite some time. You could see the maturity, not only in his game, but the person. Um, he's a leader. He, he doesn't take a backseat to anyone in his work ethic and his commitment to, to his game and how he works and the time and effort he puts into it. So, yeah, that's what you, that's why you continue to build around guys like that. 
Uh, I know it's only 12 games uh, for Heischer this season, but do you think people now, you know, considering the pace that you're on, I mean, he's been this player for a, a, a while, but when you're a winning team, you really get the attention. Do you think people now are, are starting to really notice how good Heischer is? And uh, I know Elliot always blasts me when I bring up trophies, but, I mean, uh, they're no longer whispers about Selkie with uh, with Nico Heischer anymore. Well, I, I, I had the privilege to, to play with Patrice Bergeron um, at a very, I was an old guy and he was a very young guy at the time, but there's a lot of similar qualities in Nico Hichier to, to Patrice Bergeron. It's a person first and foremost. He's just a great person. Like Patrice is, he cares about his teammates. He's, he, he, he works and competes and leads by example. Uh, he's committed to his craft. Um, and he's, he's a pretty good player and he, and he values 200 feet of the game. And, and it shows. We've always felt when we did draft him that that was his upside, you know, to be someday be, be, be in talk about uh, a Selkie trophy. So um, he, he cares. And, I, you know, I, I will say, you know, if I look at his minutes, I'm, they may be down a little bit uh, because we're, we're better around. That was the reason why I went out and got Eric Hall up. Because Eric Hall is a hell of a face-off guy. Uh, he could help with the heavy lifting in the D zone with D zone face-off. So Nico didn't have to always go out and do it. So, you know, maybe maybe the rest is helping him. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just think the world of the kid, and that's why I, I named him captain. I just, the, the way he, he leads by example um, is, is he's just, he's, he's maturing, he's growing, not only his game, the person, the captain, the leader. Um, he's doing a hell of a job. So, you know, that's going to be the headline, right? Uh, he sure is Swiss for Bergeron. That's going to be the headline coming out of this uh, this interview now, Tom. No, no pressure. There's only, one Patrice Ber- There's only one Patrice Bergeron. But he has Patrice Bergeron qualities. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, he's, he's flat out great to watch. Um, so the news today around New Jersey is, uh, of course, the situation with Martin Berdour. Uh So he comes in as the executive VP of Hockey Operations. Can you explain how that dynamic works from um, from your office to his? Well, Marty, uh, you know, was asked when, when I was asked to become interim general manager, Marty was asked if he would, you know, come in on the hockey side and, and be an advisor. Um, and he's been doing that. You know, Marty comes in, but he was working on the business side as well uh, and, and really helping, you know, drive some, some of our business with sponsorships and things like that. Um, and he's been, he's been awesome. You know, Marty, he, I didn't know Marty at all other than you know, this guy's, you know, the greatest goal he's played, if not top, he's top two, and he's a Hall of Famer. But, man, he's a Hall of Fame person. Like, he, he just is a really good, down-to-earth guy. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what else to say, how, how, how impressed I was when I first met him as a person. Um, and to have that on my staff now moving forward versus sharing them with the business ops side uh, is, um, is a privilege, and I'm very lucky. Because of his knowledge, you know, Marty's not, he, he, he's got a growth mindset. He's, he's curious like the rest of us. Like he's, he's coachable. He wants to learn. He wants to get better. He wants to understand the numbers and how that equates and how can we make better decisions and the processes that we've, we've created as an organization to, to really leverage it to, to make proper decisions. Um, he's just, he's, he's all in. 
And I couldn't be happier having him by my side and continue to work with me. And he's going to get out and do some scouting and uh, specialty uh, trips here and there, whatever I need him to do, uh, really help with our goaltending department um, in and out of New Jersey, be with me on, 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 be with the team on trips. But like I said, like he's going to be out in the field. People will see him out in the field, and uh, he's, he's full-time hockey ops now. Does it affect in any way, shape, or form Scott Clemenson's role with the team? Well, no, because Marty and Scott have worked uh, side by side now uh, for the past two plus years. You know, de- developing that goalie development uh, department. You know, I think we were the first team okay. to do it. We just didn't announce it, um, but we've got a really strong goalie department. You know, I'm lucky. I but an, it, building something really comes back to ownership and having good owners who, who listen to your plan, understand it, and they don't, they, they agree with it. And having, you know, a guy like Scott Clemenson at the top of the, the department, you know, having an American Hockey League full-time coach, or obviously an NHL full-time coach, a goalie development scout, a European goalie scout, um, it, it's, it's, they should name the game, rename the game goalie, right? Because if you don't have one, then it's hard to win. So we figured let's invest in that department. <laughs> It's uh, it's yeah. It's you know, Elaine Vigneault would always say, "Hockey's easy. If your goalie's better than my goalie, you win. If my goalie's better than your goalie, I win." Um, uh, a couple more for you. We'll let, we'll let you get on with your day. I know it's a, it's a big one tonight. You'll face off against the uh, the Ottawa Senators. Um, what what is it about this mix that you think makes this work? Like I, and I know he's injured now, but I, you know, when I saw the Devils, you know, when you when you you signed Andre Palat, I'm like, okay, that that makes a whole, it makes a ton of sense for this team and. I know he's out right now, but like, what makes you mentioned bringing in Halla? But what makes this thing really, really work? Because right now, this is a team that has, as anyone's played them, like it's difficult to play a team when they're really hitting their stride. And you're seeing this Devils team, albeit early in the season, really hit their stride. Why is that? There are a couple things you can point well, to, Tom. Oh, for sure. I, 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 we all know. Everybody knows that we have talent. You know, we can, you know, we're really good off the rush. We've got some exciting young players. Um, you, you've named them already. We've, we've added some, some stability around them with the Palats. You look at Thomas Tatar and his career and, you know, how supportive he can be uh, to, a, to a skilled player. You know, building out our defense was really the goal. Um, over these last couple of years, I want to get bigger. I want to get more mobile. I believe in just suffocating teams and uh, holding lines, but you can't do that if you're not all on the same page. So we're we're very connected, you know. But really, I I'm trying to build a team, I'm not just building a collection of talented players. I want I'm building a team around some of a lot of these talented players. You know, you need Eric Hollis. You need. Miles Wood. You need a Bastion and a McLeod. You need those guys in the trenches. You need to be able to play any type of game that's thrown you away. We played Calgary. They boy, they are physical. They are a good team. They are a good team. But what I liked is we didn't break. You know, we didn't break. We bent a little bit, but we didn't break. And and then it, we weathered that storm. We'll see the same thing tonight. This will be a physical game. You know, uh, can that can that last for sixty minutes? But we have pushback as well. Um, and, and lastly, I'd probably say that, you know, the, the part of the culture we're trying to create here is turn yourself over to the team. If your seat on the bus is here versus where you want it to be over there, 
Can you accept it? I just want players who want to be here, accept their roles, understand their roles, and do it as best as they can to help the team win. And that's what you're seeing with everybody. Every forward on a team has a role, whether on the power play or the penalty kill. They have a role, and they've accepted it, and they do it well. Same with the D. D is a little bit easier. But turn yourself over to the team. Give yourself over and, and, and let, let the team take you on, on a nice ride here, too. Uh, the ride's a great one right now. Uh, your team is hot. Winners of seven in a row. First in the Metro tonight, they'll face off against the Ottawa Senators. My guest has been Tom Fitzgerald, general manager of the New Jersey Devils. Tom, thanks so much for this. Uh, listen, this is a fun one to watch. Keep it rolling, and uh, we'll check back soon. I appreciate it. Take care. There he is, Tom Fitzgerald, GM of the uh, of the New Jersey Devils. Tonight they face off against Ottawa. A number of games around the NHL this evening. That is one of the marquee matchups uh, because it's New Jersey, man. And it's one of those teams, you know, the beginning of the season, you look at, and maybe in the Atlantic, you looked at maybe the Buffalo Sabres, the Detroit Red Wings, uh, New Jersey's opponent, Ottawa tonight. And you said, okay, can anyone pop here? Can anyone jump up and take that next step here? Last year in the NHL, we had to go to the Pacific, and that was the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, and, you know, they were the, the quote-unquote surprise team. As much as we all wondered, you know, who's going to score the goals for the Los Angeles Kings team, the door was open for them by all the new, all the injuries that the Vegas Golden Knights had. And they opened the door, and they walked through it, and they got to the playoffs. Now they bowed out against Edmonton, but they got there. And every year there's one, sometimes two teams, that jump up, quote-unquote, out of nowhere. And this season, early on, you know, they've only played 13 games. Uh, it's the New Jersey Devils. And they are... I know New Jersey has that reputation, right? Like, New Jersey has that, you know, uh, Lou and Lemare reputation, you know, the uh, the bungee cords on the hockey pants, and, you know, it's 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 non-aggressive hockey, is no forechecking, it's neutral zone trap, Peterborough freeze, whatever you want to call it, uh, that style of play. This is not that. <laughs> I assure you, if you haven't seen New Jersey yet, ask anyone who's either watched them live, watched them a few games on television, on their apps, like, this is an exciting team to watch. This ain't your granddaddy's New Jersey Devils. Tonight they play the Ottawa Senators. We thank Tom Fitzgerald for stopping by, and we thank the Devils for making him available. Hour two, we'll talk about the Winnipeg Jets with Ken Weeb, and next the St. Louis. Uh-oh, they've lost eight in a row Blues. And what's next? Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic. He covers the Blues. Tough beat right now. He'll fill us in. Most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Ken Weeb coming up in a little bit here. We'll talk about the Winnipeg Jets. These surprising Jets who now find themselves top in the Central. Winners of three in a row. Everything's grooving right now. And outside of Winnipeg, all is nice and quiet around them. To Elliot's point in the first hour, that's a team that was pretty noisy, pretty chatty, pretty drama-filled over the past few seasons, going back to probably even before when Dustin Bufflin made his decision to leave. Now it's nice and quiet. And they can just go about their business of playing hockey. Uh, meanwhile, on the other end of that spectrum, uh, quite loud around the St. Louis Blues these days. Uh, they are on an awful losing streak right now. 
Um, tonight they'll face off against the San Jose Sharks, having lost eight in a row. Uh, to find out what's going on and perhaps what's next, uh, Jeremy Rutherford joins me now from The Athletic. Jeremy, how are you today? Hello, Jeremy. Do we have you? Yeah, Jeff. Hey, how you doing? Do... Oh, there you go. We got you. Uh, I'm doing well, man. Thanks uh, so much for doing this. Um, so eight the wrong way for the St. Louis Blues. And, you know, goals. the interesting thing is to, le- to kick off the season, goal scoring is actually up um, through 210 games. Last season, uh, the average goals per game was 5.78. This year, it's already at 6.3. But don't tell the St. Louis Blues that. Last season, it seemed like everybody was having a 20-goal campaign. Uh, This year, it looks like Tarasenko might be the only one that tickles that number. Is that the biggest concern for St. Louis right now? I know there's a laundry list of them, but goal scoring, Jeremy, would that be the biggest concern right now for the Blues? Yeah, Jeff, I don't think if you rattled off those numbers to anybody in St. Louis about uh, scoring being up around the league that anybody would believe it just with what's gone on with this Blues team. And, yeah, it does come on the heels of last year having those nine 20-goal scorers. And uh, you do lose David Perron to Detroit. That's a big loss. But there just seemed to be a lot of scoring depth with this team coming back. And after a 3-0 and start, it hasn't been there. I know last time we spoke, I said, hey, call me any time. But I didn't know uh, the next time would be we'd be talking about an eight-game losing streak. Yeah, I mean, but that's the thing, right? I, and again, like, out of the gate, this team looked fantastic. And there was that afternoon against the Edmonton Oilers, and they shut them down. I'm like, all right, man, the blue, the Blues are back. This is going to be, you know, neck and neck Colorado and the St. Louis Blues all season long. And then the wheels just completely fall off this wagon. And I think we're all sort of scrambling to try to figure out, you know, to figure out why. And, you know, I... I you know, I wonder about a couple of things here. Like, I still think the Winnipeg Jets um, haven't recovered from losing Dustin Bufflin, the way that not just the way that they lost him, but just losing him in general. And I wonder if you know Alex Petrangelo going to Vegas and leaving St. Louis over the no trade uh, clause was the sort of beginning of the the slow deterioration. And now we're just seeing where that decision was ultimately leading uh, the St. Louis Blues because as much as, you know, they tried, you know, Doug Armstrong tried to bring in other defensemen all to do things that Alex Petrangelo did, they still don't have that player. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I do think kind of the roots are there in some of the things that you mentioned. They've lost a lot of leadership and a lot of culture guys with uh, Alexander Steen. You mentioned Petrangelo this year, uh, David Braun. Obviously, you can't keep those Stanley Cup champions forever. Uh, but I just think over time when you lose those types of guys, uh, you, it's, it's tough on a team. And you do have the O'Reillys and, and Braden Shens who carry that torch. Uh, but I think that plays a role. But look, last year, 109 points, and they played Colorado pretty tough in the second round before the avalanche went on, and they go on to win the uh, Stanley Cup. But I think there's just a number of things. You mentioned the 3-0 and start. They put on a clinic against Edmonton, a 2 nothing shutout, and they have not won since. They lose that game 4 nothing to Winnipeg. And you think, okay, well, they weren't going to go 82-0, and but the wheels have just completely fallen off. And that's the biggest thing. It's not just that they're losing games. It's that every game in this eight-game stretch, it's the same thing. It's missing grade-A chances in the offensive zone. It's the defenseman not being able to make an eight-foot pass out of the zone to get the puck out. Everything has gone wrong, Jeff, with this St. Louis Blues team, except for the goaltending. Jordan Bennington has been the only big positive during this entire season. Is someone ever going to give him his fight? 
I know we always joke about it when you when you and I chat, but I mean it's it's still happening. He's still taking swats at players, and Ilya Sorokin is the most latest, you know, victim <laughs> of a shoulder to the chest from from Jordan Bennington. Can please someone? I was, I was joking the other day, Jeremy, and just saying, can please someone just sign Mike Smith to a one day one game contract <laughs> to play against the St. Louis? Just just so Bennington can get it out of his system, you know. Yeah, it's definitely been the case. Uh, what do you go back to uh, San Jose last year, year before he had uh, Carlson? And and uh, I think he's had, what, now three or four? I remember Ben Bishop, he kind of took a swipe at him on the way to the bench uh, during the playoffs, I think that 2019 season. So there's been a number of those types yeah. of incidents. I actually talked to uh, Jordan Bennington about that in a preseason article for The Athletic, and he, he did say, listen, I'm not going to change that's my game. So maybe eventually there'll be some sort of actual confrontation instead of just him bumping somebody's <laughs> shoulder. But until then, I think we're probably going to see these uh, drive-bys. Well, the the thing about it is too, and you can say like the, the the thing about the St. Louis Blues going back to expansion in 1967. This is a team that's always had, you know, that that toughness has always been one of their calling cards. Like right away, and I've always made the point, you know, if it weren't for the St. Louis Blues and, you know, whether it's, you know, Noel Picard, whether it's Bob Gassoff, whether it's the Plaguers, like there have always been tough players on this team. And if it weren't for the St. Louis Blues, there wouldn't have been a Broad Street Bullies because that was just Ed Snyder saying, I'm sick of getting beaten up by the St. Louis Blues. We need to do something about this. And there's always been, and it's not just fighting, but there's always been tough players on the St. Louis Blues roster. And you can kind of sideways make the joke that maybe the toughest guy on the roster right now is, is Jordan Bennington. Um, the way that he goes, he goes after guys. But you know, we've heard the name uh, Nick Ritchie out there um, as a potential trade candidate uh, for the St. Louis Blues. Don't know if that ever you know comes to fruition, but you know it's it's out there in the whispers. Um, the goal scoring is one thing. Is team toughness another thing? Because I think people are, you know, I am. I've never seen a St. Louis Blues team that wasn't tough. I think a lot of people are kind of looking at St. Louis and saying. I've never seen a St. Louis Blues team like this, one that didn't have a an element of toughness to it. Yeah, first of all, you're so knowledgeable on the history of the Blues and that toughness. I could have used you helping me write a book a few years ago when I, when I did that. But I think <laughs> that it's a situation where, you know, the game has evolved and changed. And so, you know, fighting's obviously down and teams aren't carrying that guy. And, and you still have team toughness, like you mentioned. But what happened was, the Blues didn't have necessarily high draft picks, so uh, they they drafted Robert Thomas, they drafted Jordan Cairo, and these are types of players that fit that transition mode and, and rush mode. And so you see a Blues team go from 2019, where they're throwing the puck in with that fourth line of Sunquist and Barbashev and Steen and crunching you and rolling line after line, and then all of a sudden, three yeah. three and a half years later, you're Jordan Cairo trying to dangle across the blue line, and and so I think. Uh, that team toughness probably isn't there. No, like a few years ago, you have a Braden Shen, but you wince every time he throws a punch. You don't want him breaking a hand. And, and, and then also a Robert Bortuzzo. Yeah. And so I think it's just a situation where, yeah, this team does look a lot different than it did a few years ago. But if their skill players are playing well, they have the ability. And as we mentioned, they have the scoring depth to put themselves in the lead in games and, and play that type of style. It's just uh, for whatever reason this year, after looking pretty good last year, it hasn't come together. You know, you mentioned uh, Braden Shen there a second ago, and we think of that Philadelphia game recently where, 
I think it's the, the the first fight anyone from the St. Louis Blues has had this season. He throws down with Nick Sealer. It doesn't end well for him, but I looked at that and I said, you know, Mio Braden Shens, you know, uh, leading the team in points, uh, veteran player. I know everyone's frustrated. He's really frustrated. Do you think that's just a that's an example of either a a player trying to get his team going, or is that just is that just an example of a, a player who's frustrated where his team is at right now? Yeah, I think he uh, decided he was going to do that probably when he was eating pasta around noontime in Philadelphia, right? That uh, after seven straight losses, <laughs> he was going to drop the gloves at uh, at some point. He's a heart and soul guy. I wrote a story about uh, Braden Chen a few weeks ago, and uh, it was pretty interesting. He got married this past summer, and uh, I believe it was up in Banff uh, where they had the uh, reception. And uh, just so many different mm-hmm. players from different eras of his career and, and blues, you know, older players, prospects, so on and so forth. That's the type of glue guy he is. So, yeah, he probably cooked up that fight earlier in the day and, and then decided to uh, drop mm. the gloves. But, you know, he's probably not the guy who should be doing it. But when I talked to him about that a few weeks ago, about being the guy that fights every time the Blues need one, uh, he said, it's just in me from the age 15. I can't, I can't change that. <laughs> uh, he's a Western Canadian. Uh, Jeremy's a Western Canadian. <laughs> um you know, th- this is a this is a team that we look at right now, and we say, okay, this is a team that is. It looks like it's transitioning, you know, away from the O'Reillys and Tarasenko's. Uh, well, obviously Petrangelo's gone, but th- those types of players, and into one that's led by Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, and you know, we cross our fingers he can get healthy. A player like Scott Perunovic. You know, do we maybe look at this and say? Maybe this is just the growing pains of a team that's, you know, much like a, a snake sheds its skin you know, to, to become new again. Is this just the example of a team that's transitioning away from the older guard to a younger guard right now? And sometimes this is, you know, an eight-game losing streak is, is the cost of it. I think so, but I, I'd say this. The surprise here is nobody was talking like that after the 3-0 start and the 2-0 win over Edmonton, and that doesn't put you in the playoffs or win you a Stanley Cup, but I think that people thought that, hey, you know, maybe that uh, it's going to be a little while still before you have to talk about moving on from O'Reilly, and, and obviously Tarasenko has his no-trade uh, request a couple years ago, and this is the last year of his contract, so he's likely moving on anyway, even if they had a good year this year. They don't have the the money unless the cap goes up significantly uh, to sign both O'Reilly and Tarasenko. So you go from three and zero and feeling pretty good about your team, and this is a playoff team, uh, mm-hmm. to three and eight, and now that's the talk in St. Louis. It's uh, well, it looks like they're going to move on from Tarasenko and O'Reilly, and when's the deal going to happen? It's it's going to probably take closer to the trade deadline, and do the Blues need a retool? And uh, Doug Armstrong came out, I think it's about nine days ago. And he talked to the team and he talked to the media and he said, uh, if it doesn't change quickly, perhaps this team isn't as good as we thought. And we will need some sort of, in his words, he said, retool, re whatever. I don't like that word. So uh, I, I think that uh, the blues are in a, in a situation like you're talking about. It could be that snake skin situation. I just think the, yeah. uh, from, from my vantage point, it, it's uh, nobody was talking about this uh, two weeks ago and suddenly it's changed. Yeah, it's uh, it really is incredible, Jeremy. And you know, we look at the uh, the Vancouver Canucks, for example, and you know, Jim Rutherford the other day musing that you know, at some point, essentially, and I'm paraphrasing him here, at some point, this season becomes about next season. Um, I don't think Vancouver's there yet, but they're really close. And I wonder about the Blues as well. Like, I, I wonder at which point. 
the rest of this season is just setting up what's going to happen next season. Do you have a sense of where Doug Armstrong is at right now, today? Because, you know, this is all... You know, this is all under the umbrella and in the light of, you know, the last time the St. Louis Blues were in crisis mode, you know, Jay Bomeister was going to get waived and Patrick Maroon was going to the, the minors and he was never coming back again. Now Patrick Maroon's got three Stanley Cup rings um, and he didn't do any of these things, right? There was a coaching change and Bennington gets, uh, gets called up for the American Hockey League. You know, they don't do any moves and all of a sudden the St. Louis Blues find themselves with Stanley Cup rings and their name on the the greatest trophy in all of sports. Um, And that can sort of maybe cloud your decision-making sometime. You know, the last time Doug really wanted to do something big, he said, no, I'm not going to do it, and was rewarded for it. Does that in any way, do you think, cloud any decisions here now with this version of the St. Louis Blues? I don't think it clouds anything. I think Doug uh, over the years has shown to be pretty realistic. If we can go back to the year, remember he traded uh, Paul Stastny when the team was right there in playoff contention because he didn't think the team was good enough to make a playoff run. So he's been really realistic about the situation. And I think as he looks at it now, he probably knows that uh, this isn't the team. And yes, he does need to make decisions like that. Here's the only issue. After you win the Stanley Cup and you lose a guy like Petrangelo, so you bring in Falk and you bring in Krug on these seven-year deals, you re-up Shen, eight years. You re-up uh, Colton Preco. He's in the first year of an eight-year deal. Like, this can't be a four- or five-year rebuild because you have guys who are in the prime of their career right now at 30-31 who you're playing, uh, paying handsomely, and uh, you can't let those guys get two or three years older. And, oh, by the way, can you move them right now? Can you can you move a, a Falk, a Krug, a Shen, one or more of those guys with the term they have left on their deal? So, I think as you transition into a Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo led team, yes, you can bring some younger players into the fold. Uh, but, but what does it look like if you have a two or three or four year rebuild and those guys uh, are unmovable? So that's kind of the, the crisis that they're in right now. I think. Uh, last question for you. And you're always generous with your time. And I, I thank you as always. Uh, what happens with Ryan O'Reilly this season? I mean, he's not exactly having a, a bang-up year, two goals, two points, 11 games. What happens with, you know, the former Conn Smythe Trophy champion here? So a couple of things. I think, uh, you know, 10, 12 days ago, even though he wasn't playing great, I think that uh, people felt like, okay, Tarasenko is going to be the guy to go. O'Reilly will probably get signed to two or three, four years and come back. Now I think if this is a team that is looking like it's not going to make the playoffs, they probably would move on from Ryan O'Reilly. I do want to say to people who are maybe watching a few highlights or just seeing the box score, O'Reilly is not playing well, but he has not had a line mate. Jordan Cairo has had a very difficult season, and he just hasn't had somebody reliable on that right side. Remember, I mentioned earlier that the Blues decided not to bring back David Prawn. They needed defense with a limited yeah. cap. They brought back Nick Letty. And so David Prawn is severely missed on this team, particularly by Ryan O'Reilly. So it's not for effort. It's not for anything that O'Reilly really has in his uh, control right now. He's still doing the things that Ryan O'Reilly does in hockey games. It's just that the, the numbers aren't there. So if, if I had my guess, and things are going the way they're going right now, I would think that uh, Doug Armstrong's going to explore, and, and we're still in November, so it's probably going to be a bit. Uh, but at some point, the Blues would probably entertain the idea of moving on from uh, Ryan O'Reilly. 
Interesting. Uh, okay, we'll see what happens tonight. San Jose Sharks facing off against the St. Louis Blues. Jeremy, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for always stopping by. You're uh, you're you're one of the best at covering the beats, and I know it's a difficult one right now, but you, you're doing a great job uh, as always. Thanks so much for doing this as always. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Jeremy Rutherford uh, covers the St. Louis Blues for The Athletic. That is a team that has lost eight games in a row. That is a team that is the talk of the NHL for all the wrong reasons. Uh, a team that, although they might not be the talk of the NHL, they should be. But I think this squad, considering considering how noisy it's been around them the last few seasons, probably likes it a little bit turned down. We don't need the volume at 10. We need the volume around two or three. That's right where they like it. They've won three games in a row. And they now sit on top of their division, the always competitive Central. They are the Winnipeg Jets. Ken Weeb covers the Jets for Sportsnet, and he joins me now. Kenny, how are you today, pal? Uh, tremendous, Jeff. Thanks for having me. And uh, strangely enough, uh, some folks might argue the Jets broke the Blues. Uh, the streak started uh, a couple weeks back with the, with mm-hmm. a visit to Winnipeg after that impressive win over the Oilers. Uh, Blues rolled into town on cloud nine, and the Jets played well, and they kind of got themselves going and at the same time it's been a surprise to see the blues uh, struggle the way that they have this year there's no doubt about that is that the is that four nothing game if i remember correctly the jets really handed it to them that game yeah they're t- sort of, i would say there was their template game and then the jets went out on the road and played very poorly and uh, relied on their goaltender uh, you know when two of those or <laughs> connor Hellbuck was great in two of the games and david reddick was steady in the other and they came home and, and said this wasn't good enough, uh, which was interesting. I mean, the players knowing that, you know, that level of play wasn't sustainable, even with a Vesna quality goaltender and Connor Hellebuck, who's been lights out. Uh, their structure during the homestand was much better. And in one of those games where, you know, we always talk about the measuring sticks or the litmus tests. I mean, the Blues made the Jets look slow in the second game of the year for Winnipeg. And the Jets kind of turned the tables uh, the other night on Tuesday and they were very competitive. It was a fun and scoreless first period, but Jets kind of got themselves going. Their top line was flying. Pierre-Luc Dubois scored again, and uh, they got an important goal from their third line, Saku Manalainen, with his first as a Jet. And again, their goaltending was excellent, uh, and they were very structured. And it's very interesting. I mean, Rick Bonus has done a great job when he's been around, uh, but they've been asking their players for more, and the players have been open to trying to give more. You know, um, one thing that Kelly Rudy always reminds me and has previously and has reminded others as well, and Kelly's one of the smartest guys we know, uh, and that is you don't have to apologize for having a great goaltender. They are part of your team. It's not the team plus this goaltender. The goaltender is part of the team. And, and further to that, your thoughts on what we're seeing out of Connor Hallibuck this season. Like, I, I've, I've maintained that in this era of hockey, you know, I, I, I think it's a little bit much to ask goaltenders or expect goaltenders to steal games. I think you could ask a goaltender to steal one period, maybe steal two periods. A game is a whole other thing, but we have seen Connor Hellebuck steal games. Your thoughts on his performances so far this season? Yeah, he's been dynamite, Jeff, and it's interesting. I know, I know you always talk about there's a, there's the elite class and then there's the class one below, and uh, we know that Connor's a very competitive guy, and you know last year the raw numbers were not very good, and his name wasn't being tossed around in many of the discussions about the elite level goaltendings, the Vasilevskis, the Shesterkins. Uh, and I think uh, he was highly motivated. He was very disappointed with how last year went for the team and for himself. And uh, he's come back, uh, you know, he had a longer off season than, than most years. Uh, last game was May 1st and he was very motivated and, you know, saw some guys from, 
that had been working with him and they said he was just dialed in all summer long. And again, I'm not a parent. You are. This is first last year. They had a young child. First time, probably a lot of adjustments and everything else. He's energized. He's been dialed oh, yeah. in. He got a good summer of training and he's just been absolutely, uh, he's been one of the best players, not only for the jets, but in the entire league to start the year. I mean, I mean, the raw numbers are only part of it, but you know, 198 and 939, those are, numbers that were, you know, superior to his Vesna level year. And he shows no signs mm-hmm. of kind of letting up. And that's the thing about him. I mean, he's very technically sound. Uh, his rebound control has been excellent. And he's just been very dialed in right now. And he's an incredibly motivated person. And he's not happy, you know, he's happy with how things are going, but he will never be complacent. Yeah. He wants this team to be a contender. And he knows that he is their best chance of being a contender. He's been exceptional after 10 games, to your point. I mean, the record of 7-2 and two and the 938 save percentage, this guy's been fantastic. Um, okay, if I told you, I want to talk about Kyle Connor and Mark Shafley here. If I told you at the beginning of the season, <laughs> one of these players was going to have eight goals and two assists, and the other was going to have two goals and eight assists, who do you think would have had the eight goals, Kyle Connor or Mark Shafley? <laughs> Well, exactly. Uh, you know, Mark's getting a little bit of heat for uh, being the, the leader for the Cy Young Award here. But, uh, you know, he, he's always had that great shot. Uh, he's always had that kind of Sackick-like release, even when he came to that first camp as an 18-year-old. But he's always been a pass-first player, uh, and he's done a great job of finishing. He's always been a shot quality over quantity kind of guy, but right now he's getting into dangerous spots. And yeah. I mean, by his own admission, the last game he had a couple of backdoor taps for – to get seven and eight, but uh, you know, more importantly for Shifley, it's been his two-way effort. Uh, he's been a guy who has been open about wanting to be coached. Uh, Rick Bonus is pushing him, and he, he's often, you know, ever since he came into the league, he wanted to be in that elite level discussion. And uh, a couple of years, obviously, his point totals have been, good, you know, point a game player for six plus years. But he wanted to round out his game, and he's been doing that. In terms of Kyle Connor, Jeff, it's been interesting. I mean, it's not like he's been playing on the perimeter and not involved in games. I mean. His button hook and acceleration pass Sagan to set up Shifley the other night was like that's elite level stuff, like the one percentile. But uh, it's not like he hasn't had opportunities. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one game he had 12 shot attempts. I mean, it's uh, he could have had six that night. And then what does he do? He goes out and scores the overtime winner. I mean, the guy's got 35 game winning goals in his career. He's been dangerous. But yeah, it's been a bit of a role reversal for those two. But uh, the important part is that both have been contributing at you know in all areas of the game and. Uh, they've, they've really been kind of driving the bus for the Jets on that top line, but it hasn't just been a one-line thing. I mean, we know that they're getting contributions from the second line that Pierre-Luc Dubois is in the middle of, right in the middle of everything with six goals himself. And the third line's been really solid with Adam Lowry doing an exceptional job out of the gate here too as well. Let me ask you about, uh, I want to get to Cole Perfetti here in a second because I really, really like this kid. Um, but I want to ask you about Mark Shifley's shot. Do you know, and I'm really going like inside baseball on this one, Kenny, and I, I apologize if you don't know the answer. I probably shouldn't ask the question. Um, I remember talking Fire to away. Tanner Pearson once. Okay, so I remember talking to Tanner Pearson uh, who played with the Barry Colts of the OHL and he talked about all the things that Dale Howard Chuck would do with him as far as shooting goes and being able to get your shot off. It's one thing to be able to have a little bit of time in the OHL, for example, to take your shots, set up all of it. That time vanishes when you, when you join the national hockey league. And so what he would have Tanner do is he would teach him to take shots blindfolded. 
So he really didn't know. He just sort of had to feel it and know where things were instinctively. And there were some of the drills that he did where Pearson would be blindfolded. Uh, I'm with you on Shifley's shot. I know he does a lot of work, obviously, with Adam Oates. That story's been well told by now. But do you know if when he was with Barry, if he did any blindfold shooting practice with Dale Howarchuk? Because you're right, like he's got a tremendous shot, and I, I can't think of you know uh, someone going through the 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 NHL finishing school uh, of of Dale Howarchuk and not at least having tried doing the blindfold shooting uh, shooting workouts. It's a great question. Uh, you've given me a homework assignment uh, for tomorrow, Jeff. I do not know the answer, but uh, <laughs> okay. I, I'm going to uh, I'm going to be heading directly to Mark Stoll tomorrow to uh, to try to get to the bottom of this uh, mystery. Uh, I have not seen the blindfold out uh, at any Jets uh, work that I've seen or, you know, the odd time that Adam's been out uh, out with them. But uh, I do know the one thing. I know when you talk about, you know, the, the Crosbys and guys like that, when there's been an area where, you know, Mark didn't used to hit a lot of one-timers. I mean, he would, you know, he had that quick release from the slot when they had the multi, you know, the diversified power play with Bufflin at the top and line of hitting one-timers from the OV spot. Mark had that quick snapper one-timer from the slot but hadn't seen him take a ton of one-timers with the slapper and he's really worked on that the last two years as he's been kind of moved into that you know that slot along the boards and the ov slot uh, as well so haven't noticed the blindfold but uh, we're going to get to the next time we talk I will, I'll, I'll text you the answer tomorrow okay. i don't know if it'll be in time for uh, in, in time for monday's show we'll have the answer we'll try to have the answer for you but it wouldn't surprise awesome. me That's, i appreciate let's, let's put it this way it would, I, it, would I, it would not surprise me yeah I love giving you homework. I, I love giving you homework. Honey. <laughs> uh, let me ask you about Cole. Let me ask you about Cole Perfetti. Just loaded with skill, uh, eight points. You mentioned Pierre Luc Dubois playing on the on the left side there. Uh, what are the expectations for this kid this year? Like, what are the Winnipeg Jets like as far as stat line goes, as far as performance goes, as far as you know maturity and growth? He's only twenty years old. What are the ex- What are the expectations for Cole Perfetti this year? Yeah, I mean, the expectations, I think, are fair to say that they expected him to be a contributor. Like, we talk about complementary scoring. I mean, Cole needs to be a primary scorer. I mean, that, I don't know that that means 40 points or if it means 50-plus, but uh, the Jets knew he was going to have to play an important role. Uh, he showed right from the beginning at the Young Stars tournament that he was ready coming back off that injury where he had the shoulder issue after the hit from Jamie Alexiak and then the back issue that flared up. But uh, such an exceptional you know, player in terms of his vision. His ability to distribute the puck is, you know, the word we always call it the word processor. I mean, his word processor works at a quicker rate than than, than, a, than a lot of players in the NHL. That's allowed him to make an early impact, even though he wouldn't be in that burner category in terms of his skating. But he's working on it, and his ability to anticipate and, and put the puck into you know good areas for his line mates has really paid off in the early going. Uh, the one thing that maybe the Jets were concerned about, or uh, Cole was on the on the receiving end of a couple of big hits early and. Uh, or a couple of them were on the numbers, one in one in the preseason, a couple during the season, and he's done a good job of you know mm-hmm. getting himself. You know, he still goes to the hard areas, but he's done a better job of late of you know staying out of the areas where he's you know could get rocked. I mean, we always talk about taking it to make a play, and that, that's still important for guys like Cole. But uh, he was kind of putting himself in vulnerable positions at times, and you know a little bit of bad luck, but. Boy, uh, you know, his ability to move the puck around. And he's really clicking with, you know, two big, powerful guys. You know, Pierre-Luc Dubois just had an exceptional start. Uh, tough game against the Vegas Golden Knights. And, you know, before the next game, he came out and said, you know, a poor game for the team. But he felt like it was one of his worst games of his NHL career. Since that time, he's just been absolutely on fire. Uh, Blake Wheeler, we know, you know, was a, it was a 
you know, it was a quiet, <laughs> quiet off season for the Jets as a whole, but it wasn't quiet for Blake, obviously yeah. with the captaincy being removed and everything else. Uh, he's, you know, his minutes are down, but his production uh, in terms of his impact is maybe up a little bit. And that's something that the Jets really needed. And those two guys are kind of been great mentors for a young guy like Cole, who has really made yeah. a nice impact out of the gate here. Um, you know, uh, eventually there's going to have to be, we'll, we'll end on this one. I'm, I'm curious. Eventually there are going to have to be decisions made on this blue line. It seems like, you know, uh, uh, you know, when everybody is healthy, just to be blunt, there's too many defensemen. <laughs> and, you know, we've, we've wondered about, you know, Ottawa who are, are hunting for one right now. Are they going to look to Winnipeg? Are they going to look to, to Vancouver? Not sure. We'll see how this one goes. Can you give us a snapshot of the questions there are on this blue line, knowing that there are, just to be blunt, some guys who probably should be playing in the NHL who can't get a spot in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously been challenging for Billy Hanela in, in terms of carving out that role. And, I mean, you guys had a great visit with Al, uh, Al Wah uh, on your podcast, which all folks should check out if they haven't already. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know what? Josh Morrissey's been dynamite for the Jets on that top pairing anchoring, not just because he has the 12 points. He's been great. Uh, and their second pairing, the shutdown pairing, uh, Nate Schmidt has found the Vegas version of Nate Schmidt. Him and Brendan Dillon have, have really formed a nice shutdown pairing. Uh, but, you know, Neil Pionk has been a little bit up and down. Dylan DeMello not playing at quite the same level as we were used to seeing when he was playing with Josh Morrissey. Dylan Sandberg is kind of working his way into the lineup and, you know, been pretty steady, but trying to solidify himself. So, yeah, I mean, the math uh, the math doesn't check out, right? There's there's too many NHL defensemen and not enough spots, and even Kyle Capabianco stepped in and did a nice job. So I do think there's going to be a move yeah. that's made, but, I mean, Brendan Dillon showed the other night, you know, Brendan Dillon's probably the easiest player to move, but he's the player the Jets don't want to move because of his, you know, physicality and yeah. uh, some of the other things he does in terms of leadership. I mean, he really energized the building uh, with that fight with uh, Ty Delandria the other day. So I don't see him being on the move, even though probably he's the guy that Kevin Sheveldayoff gets the most calls about. Um, the Billy Hano situation will be interesting to watch. I mean, the other issue for the Jets is that a lot of those guys expire in two years when you're going to need young guys like Billy Hano. I don't think he has to wait for two years but he's going to have to keep working in the AHL to kind of force his way into the discussion. And that's what the Jets uh, have to be hoping for. But I'm with you. I mean, I, I thought this log jam would have been uh, resolved by now. Uh, and, you know, now we're on you know, November 10th and there's still, <laughs> there's still a, a crowded house, if you will, on the back. So I, I don't have a, a great feel for, you know, I don't think the Jets are going to move Pion because they made a long-term commitment to him, but uh, he would be yeah. the other issue for the Jets have is they have a lot of the same on the back end. They got a lot of small ish skilled puck movers and, you know, guys like Brennan Dillon are, you know, in short supply. So, I mean, it, it's, and then Logan Stanley, I mean, where does he fit in? He just started to get, you know, played two solid games and then he blocks the shot with yeah. his foot and now he's out for four weeks. I mean, it's a, uh, it's an, it, you can go from a surplus to a deficit pretty quickly in the NHL, but I still do think that one of those veterans is going to be on the move eventually here, Jeff. I don't, I just don't know which one. Uh, are the Jets, we'll end on this one, are they enjoying the relative silence around the team? This is a team that, you know, snuck up to tops in the division here again. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, it's interesting. I mean, there was a lot of disappointment coming out of last year. Uh, you know, a lot of talk about you know culture change and all those other things. Rick Bonus and the staff done a great job yeah. on that front. Uh, it has been relatively quiet. Nobody really saw them as a you know bona fide contender yet. There they are, and you're you know they're at the top of the Central with Dallas. And 
again, the Jets, the, the thing we always talk about, Jeff, and we talked about this last year around this time. I mean, the Jets were 9 3 and 3 last year after 15 games, and then Connor McDavid broke the Jets yep. uh, with that one on four goal uh, where he uh, made his way in and forced overtime, and then they won it in overtime. So it is early, but I mean, obviously, I don't think the Jets could have asked for a much better start given the, you know, strength of schedule and, uh, you know, the sort of some of the challenges with a couple of early three and fours out of the gate. So, yeah, I mean, it's been quiet around them, but mm-hmm. I mean, the fun part is now. I mean, can you sustain it? And, you know, let's let's see where things are at at American Thanksgiving and where things are at. And, you know, because mm-hmm. don't look now, but, you know, even the Blues, the Blues are struggling, but the Wild are trying to get it going and the Avalanche seem to have found themselves. So uh, I think the, the Central is yeah. still going to be a tough place to to sustain longevity in terms of the success front. But, uh, I mean, they're, they're showing that they've got signs. And, Jeff, the other thing, too, you ta- you started with the Shafley-Connor question. If I had told you that Nikolai Ehlers will have had three assists and only played in two games in the first 12 and the Jets are in first place, yep. a lot of people would have been raising their eyebrows yeah. at you as well. So it, it'll be interesting to see what this next stretch is. I mean, they play, a, you know, this sort of a struggling Calgary Flames team on the weekend and then a surprising Seattle Kraken team. Uh, on Sunday, so it'll be an interesting time ahead for the Jets, but uh, they're definitely happy with uh, you know a little bit of the cone of silence, and the, I don't think they'll be sneaking up on teams for much longer, though. Yeah, it's interesting too with Seattle. Like we're actually starting to ask ourselves: Are they really good? Is this a mirage? What are we seeing here? I guess Winnipeg will see that on the weekend. Uh, you're the best, Ken, as always, man. You cover this thing. What well. you cover that team so well. Thanks as always for stopping by. Uh, continue to enjoy the ride. We'll uh, always be checking out what you're doing at Sportsnet.ca. Uh, to say nothing of the podcast as well. We look forward to talking to you again, Ken. Thanks for having me. Uh, have a great long weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, my friend. And we'll talk soon. There he is, the great Ken Weeb from Sportsnet, covers the Winnipeg Jets uh, for us. Um, what do we got next? We got some uh, oh, some Twitter questions coming from the Twitterverse. Some really good ones, too. Um, Maddie's put a lot of these together, so I don't want to bias it because I don't know what he's going to choose here. But the ones that I had a look at this morning, there are some really doozies. Some real doozies here. We'll see if we can cobble together some semi-coherent answers for you. Uh, questions from the Twitterverse coming up here a couple of seconds as we wrap up another edition uh, of the Merrick Show. Don't forget, busy night as well uh, around the NHL and around Sportsnet. Uh, early, it is the Flames and the Bruins. Watch this one on 360, East Ontario and Pacific. It's the return of Charlie McAvoy, folks. The rich keep on getting richer, as they say. And the Boston Bruins, who were, you know did this without McAvoy and previous did this without Marchand, uh, are getting reinforcements. Again, it is the Oilers and the Hurricanes on Sportsnet West. Both those two games are 7 o'clock Eastern starts. And a little bit later on, it is the Blackhawks and... I can't believe I'm going to say this, but here we go. It's the Blackhawks and Gabriel Velarde. Ten goals, man. Gabriel Velarde's Los Angeles Kings. 10.30 Eastern. You can watch that one on Sportsnet 360. Okay, Twitter questions coming up next. Merrick Show, Sportsnet 360, and also the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back in a moment. Great daily gambling advice from Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert in the fan morning shows, Wake and Rake. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program here uh, Monday to Friday starting at noon Eastern. Before we get to some uh, questions from the Hockey Twitterverse, hey, Matt Marchese, guess who has a book that I uh, see the NHL alumni is promoting? Who's that? 
Dave Scatcherd. Oh. Born on the Dave same day as Scatcherd I am. Dave is called... Really? Yeah. Hang on. That is, as I pull up his DB, February 20th. Yes, sir. You were born 1976 in Alberta, too? Oh, wow. I had no idea. Uh, no, second round draft pick of the, uh, of the the Vancouver Canucks, a former Portland winter hawk as well. He had, uh, I mean, I, I would imagine that a lot of the book sort of revolves around it. Just horrible, horrible concussion issues that ended up costing him his career. I am really curious to read this book. And uh, and you know what that means? Got to get you on the beat. Having him on. Getting Dave Scatcherd here on the show. Yeah, let's get him on. Okay, that looks good. Uh, Dave Scatcherd, the comeback: my journey through heaven and hell. Um, what's up, Matty? How are you today, man? We got some good questions, eh? There, are, like I said at the beginning of the show, our listeners, and I'm not saying this just because, like, our listeners have some great questions. Like, I love. Like the big picture of a lot of these, and and kind of really makes you think about some stuff. Oh, okay. Um, oh, by the way, what did you think of uh, of Tom Fitzgerald in the first hour, GM of the? Oh, uh, Tom's New great. Devils. You know what? The red, I, the red I hot, the red hot New Jersey Devils. Yeah, I I appreciate Tom because he came on when things weren't so good, and you say, okay, things are going really well. Let's have him on. But oh, man. he's. <laughs> I I loved how he talked about you know the playing with Patrice Bergeron and and seeing some similarities in Nico Heischer's game and then saying but there's only yeah. one Patrice Bergeron. <laughs> yeah, I know there is. You know, rename the Selkie, call it the Bergeron when he retires. Uh, but you know, listen, uh, it started a couple of years ago when you could really start to see that somewhere down the road. Nico Heischer was going to be in the sulky conversation with uh, with uh, with the New Jersey Devils. Anyway, the the one thing you, you can't help but think of those first two games for New Jersey this season, when the chance were fire Lindy and fire Lindy, get rid of Lindy Ruff, and you know everyone you know was uh, was thinking that Andrew Burnett was brought in because Lindy was going to be fired early and Burnett was going to slide in there and he's going to bring in Derek McKenzie as his assistant. Derek McKenzie, I think it was yesterday, was named head coach of the Sudbury Wolves now of the OHL. Lindy Ruff is fine and dandy. Thank. Thank you very much. And the New Jersey Devils are on top of their division. Anyhow, let's get to a couple of questions. What do you got here? This one was one of my favorites just because of the the verbiage that, that they use. It's from Cash Mad. And uh, they ask, where okay. and what is what of the all-time favorite, um, one of the all-time most entertaining players, Dustin Bufflin, doing? He just Kaiser Sozade, and I miss him. Uh... <laughs> a usual suspects reference in there too very well used um he has he's fishing he's in minnesota honestly, from what we've been told well we know we know we know he's fishing um but he has just vanished like we've always said that it's always great in the nhl when the great still hang around the game that's why it was you know, to be blunt, it was awful when the Arizona Coyotes owed all that money to Wayne Gretzky and he wasn't going to come back until he got paid. Thank you very much. It was, wasn't was good. It wasn't good for hockey. certainly wasn't good for Gretzky. Um, but whether it's someone like Wayne Gretzky or someone like Dustin Bufflin, I think it's always best to have the the high-profile players uh, around the game as, as much as possible. And I know that the exit wasn't... I mean, it was anything but clean and tidy. <laughs> it was... It was it was very much an awkward one, but I I really like I don't know where he is to answer the question. I don't know where he is. I'm guessing somewhere in Minnesota, um, but I miss having Dustin Bufflin around the game. I miss watching Dustin Bufflin the player, 
and I miss the interviews with Dustin Bufflin. Uh, I just miss miss having that 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 person and that character around the game of hockey. And I'm and like legit, like I think that that began, you know, the slow walk down the stairs for the Winnipeg Jets when Dustin Bufflin was no longer part of the equation. He could. Like, he could take over games physically, and he had skill, and he had a bomb, and he was versatile. He could play forward. He could play defense. And he was cool. And he was a great quote. And he was a lot of fun to have in the game. And, Maddie, I'm sure you are, you know, you feel the same way. I miss having Dustin Bufflin around. I really, really do. I do. I really do. Um, Okay, here's another one. This one from Romancing Saga, and they ask, why isn't Garth Snow's name coming up in GM searches? The Islanders' teams that were a couple of bounces away from a final were mostly made up of his players, and it seems like his biggest failure was not having a Hall of Fame coach fall into his lap. Yeah, you know, I've wondered about Garth Snow as well, too. And this is the interesting thing. Brian Brick always talks about this, and this is why he always goes out of his way to mention Brian Murray when the conversation turns to his 2007 Anaheim Ducks. Um, sure, you know, he lured, you know, the, you know, uh, the Niedermeyers and, and that act, uh, and that was the, the one of the final pieces for the Anaheim Ducks. But he always goes out of, the, out of his way to say that, you know, a lot of the heavy lifting was done elsewhere, which is why I still think that the ultimate general manager that the NHL has ever seen is Bill Torrey. I know there are Sam Pollock fans. I get it. I understand it. I know there are a lot of people that will tell you Sam Pollock. But the thing about Bill Torrey was he did it from zero. He built a team from a blank piece of paper and turned it not only into a Stanley Cup champion, but turned it into a dynasty. Um, And he did not sit on the shoulders of anyone that came before him with the New York Islanders. He was the OG. He was the guy that put it all together. Um, and you know, as to the, uh, uh, as, as, as to the question, you know, you're always, you know, you're always sitting on the shoulders of, uh, of, uh, uh, of the general manager previous to you. So I don't think that it's lost on Islanders fans. It's probably not lost on Lou Lamarillo either. I don't think it's lost on anybody um, that a lot of what we saw and continue to see with the Islanders, as much as they, you know, made some mistakes while Snow was there, um, a lot of that was built by Gar Snow, and that's a difficult thing about being a GM, which is why I always have a hard time with the GM of the year. And thankfully, I don't have to vote on it because how do you decide that, right? Because everything is always shifting and changing and going forwards and going backwards. And sometimes these great moves that you make aren't apparent right away. So you're taking bows for a move, not that season, but like five years from now. Um, I am a little bit surprised that Gar Snow's name isn't out there now, but there's there's a lot of guys that are out there that could run hockey teams whose, you know, whose names are starting to get forgotten. Uh, into hockey history, but yeah, I, I think the uh, the the uh, the tweeter is right that you know Gar Snow's name should should at least be out there and part of the conversation because he built you know and in challenging times too because don't forget Charles Wong was a very difficult owner, uh, the late Charles Wong was a difficult owner to work with at times. Um, he had to actually be convinced not to sign and dress a sumo wrestler as a goaltender in the National <laughs> Hockey League. That's one of the things that Gar Snow had to talk him out of, after all. <laughs> oh, my Interesting God. Idea. So Interesting yeah. idea. Interesting idea. Yeah, man. 
sure yeah. it is. Um, okay, so this is a two-parter. So bear with me here because it's a it's it's a good con okay. it's a good concept. The first tweet and then the second tweet. There's mm -hmm. a, another one. So this is from Don Sangster, okay. and he says scoring in the NHL is down again. Maybe it's time to consider outlawing icing on the penalty kill. You can't do it any other time, but when you've committed an infraction and are being penalized, and then there's a response from, this is one of the greatest names ever, one dirty parrot who says, I like this. Whoa. How about forcing the team that just took a penalty to leave the current players on the ice for the initial face-off, like when a team makes an icing? Okay, first of all, Don Sangster, I wonder if that's any relation to Jack Sangster, the former head coach of Seattle in the Western League, and that was a tough team, and they called them, remember, Maddie, Sangsters Gangsters. Um, okay, so a couple of things there. To the idea of leaving the players on the ice, I think we understand it from a competitive point of view. Um, uh, what was the second part about uh, on, the, on the icing? What was the second tweet? So the second tweet was if you if you have to force if you can force the the penalized team to keep those players on the ice for the initial face off. Force them to keep the keep 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 the players on the ice. You know what the issue there is and I would imagine it's a pushback specifically from the players association. <sighs> Tired hockey players lead to injuries. I think that is the pushback on things like this about having tired hockey players out there. As much as tired hockey players can lead to goals and lead to turnovers and you know lead to a lot of flashpoint, exciting moments that we like in the game, the Players Association will say, the more you leave a player out there, the greater chance that player is going to get hurt is. So we shouldn't be artificially looking at ways why we have to leave those players or force those players to stay longer then we want them. Okay. Uh, this one from, I think, I think I really do. I really, I really do think it's an injury. It's an injury issue. Okay. Uh, this one from, and another great name, general soreness. Um, given the teeny little wrist cuffs on today's hockey gloves, I have felt it was only a matter of time until we saw a gruesome injury like that of Evander Keynes on Tuesday night. Do you ever envision players yeah. going back to the longer cuffs of yesteryear? Nope. No, and you know this. I mean, you played, Maddie. I mean, have you ever put on those long cuffs before? How much better does it feel when you have, you know, uh, we have more flexibility? Mobility? <laughs> and I know, I know the technology. Well, I mean, you didn't have much ability, but at least you can move your wrists a lot nicer. I don't think we're ever going back to that. I, I still wondering about. I, I still do wonder about undergarments and wearing more cut resistant technology, um, like as your as your complete undergarment. Just because the stakes are so high, I know that it happens so infrequently, but still, considering when it does happen, how potentially dangerous it is. And you know, the other day I mentioned Clint Malarchuk and Richard Zednick, etc. We've seen cuts before and. Uh, it's the the way that the the blades are so sharp right now, and guys are getting sharpenings in games. No longer are you gonna you know drag drag the blade over your or drag the uh, the stone over your blade once every three or four games. Now it's happening all the time. Um, the potential for significant injury is so much higher. It's it's almost to the point, Maddie, where I'm kind of surprised we don't see it more often than we do. But when we do. It's awful. Like that visual of Kane popping up and skating off quickly to the bench. And as soon as he pops up, you see that pool of blood sitting there on the ice. That is frightening. So I, I don't wonder as much about the gloves as I do wonder about 
cut resistant underwear that the guys wear, whether it's, you know, the, the long sleeves or something on their legs as well to, to prevent cuts. That's, that's, that's what I, I wonder about more cut resistant technology. You got I think that's fair. Uh, yeah, that's okay. Quick. Uh, all hockey helmets look the same. That was not the case in the eighties and nineties. This one from Carrie L kettle, which style of helmet would you like to see mm-hmm. in a modern helmet? The Gretzky Jofa, Lemieux Jofa, Messier Winwell, Iserman CCM, or the Felino Northland? Oh, oh, the, well, the Felino Northland I really, really like because that looked like Marvin Martian. Uh, that was really cool. The Iserman, the Iserman look was really cool, and that stuck around for a long time. But you know, I'm old. Like I'm, I'm from the school they built to be, uh, They burned down to build the old school, Maddie. I like that old Jofa. I like the original old Jofa, which was really gave you about as much protection as having a napkin on your head. Like there was like zero protection to that thing. If you could make them safe, and I know that some coaches, I think Marty St. Louis used to do this when he coached in like you know peewee hockey. He would put padding inside and run practices that way. To me, old Jofa, old Jofa's the one. Uh, thanks to everyone who stopped by. Ken Weeb, Jeremy Rutherford, Tom Fitzgerald, Elliot Friedman. Back tomorrow for the Friday edition of the Merrick Show. Enjoy the games tonight. There are some doozies. Enjoy. Back tomorrow.